So this weekend, it's interesting to me how God orchestrates things sometimes. Um, as we're preaching through, as I'm preaching through the Old Testament and through the Bible, you never know kind of what's going to be happening in the world when you come to a certain passage of Scripture. And it just so happens that this weekend we're looking at the book of Job. And there's some incredible statements in the passage that we're going to read from the book of Job this weekend that really speak to the tragedy in Oklahoma and things along those lines. And we want to really talk about that a little bit this weekend. Let me give you a little bit over overview of the book of Job. And it is pronounced Job, not Job, in case you were wondering. It is an ancient book. Many believe that it, it reflects the time of the book of Genesis. Um, there's really three dialogues, three uh, discussions. The first one is between God and Satan, and that's really chapters 1 and 2. And then Job has three friends that come to encourage him. Quote, encourage him. And that goes from chapters 3 to 37. And then God answers Job, and there's a dialogue between Job and God. Really, more God to Job. And that's chapters 38 through 42. Now, what do we know about Job? Well, from the book, we learn he was wealthy. He had a large family. He was healthy. He was seemingly was blessed by God. And um, just just doing really, really well. Um, twice he was described by God. I mean, just think about this. If God could say one thing or two things about you, what would you want him to say? Well, here's what he said about Job. He says, there's not a man as righteous as Job on the face of the earth. He's a man, Job is a man who fears God and shuns evil. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> you got to go quite a ways to get much better than that. And then uh, we see one day Satan challenges God and uh, about the integrity of Job. And God allows Satan to attack Job. And that's hard for us to understand why God would do that or why God would allow that. But I want to read from Job chapter 1, starting at verse 8. And we're going to read down through verse 22. This is what it says. The Lord asks Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look at how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right? You may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want, do with him everything that, let me try that again. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses. Don't harm him physically. You might want to underline that phrase, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, 
another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen down from heaven and burned up your sheep and all your sh- all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, and this is where I believe that you, 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 you plan for the weekend and you say, how in the world? Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Now I just want to take a moment and I want to pray for those families that lost family members, children, and loved ones in Oklahoma. And just everything. They lost everything. Uh, let's pray for them right now. Father, we do pray for the families and the people that have just gone through so much trauma this past week, who have lost children, who have went to school and now are gone, who lost their homes, came back and one one day there one a few hours before there was a home standing and they came back and they found nothing who lost memories who lost everything lost cars and possessions and many were hurt father we just can't imagine what they're going through we don't like it we're disappointed and we're disturbed by it we want to know why we just ask for your comfort and encouragement today we pray for those volunteers who uh, had to deal with so much tragedy that you would help them. Thank you for the people that have rallied and for the people that are uh, coming alongside of them. And it's going to take a long time, Father, to rebuild. But we would just ask that you'd be a very present help in this time of trouble for these folks and that you would carry them and help them in the days to come, just today, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me continue in the passage. So all of this took place to Job. And it says that Job stood up. He tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. It says that last phrase is just stunning to me. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Now here's an incredible situation that's very contemporary with what we've heard in the news this week, what pictures that we've seen, and what many people have experienced. See, everything dear to Job was gone, stripped from him including his family, his worldly goods. And, and if you read chapter 2, you think, well, that's terrible what we just read. Read chapter 2. <laughs> it gets worse. It's like round 2. And God says, okay, Satan, you can, you can put your hand against Job. You could take away his health, but you can't kill him. And as we come to the end of chapter 2, Job is standing there with a piece of pottery scraping the wounds of his skin that have just broken out and he's in just dire agony 
So he lost his family. He lost his worldly goods. He lost his, his physical health. But that isn't the worst. The worst was he had four friends, three friends that came to encourage him. And the best thing they did was they came and they just sat with him and they didn't say a word for a long period of time. By the way, you want to help somebody who's grieving? Listen, probably one of the last things that you need to do is talk. <laughs> Don't talk. Just be there with them. Just be a presence. Because the, the friends did a great job while they just sat there with him. Then they began to talk. And they began to torment him. And we'll talk more about that. But, but not only his friends, but his own wife. His own wife finally came to him. You're a pitiful case. Why don't you just curse God and die? Thanks for that word of encouragement. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you, you say, how much more bleak could it get? I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? Job cried out in the midst of all of this. He cried out, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of... We sing that song. I don't know if you remember. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We sing that song. That's where it's coming from. It's coming from the book of Job. When you lose everything, blessed be the name of the Lord. He even cried out, Job cried out in chapter 13, verse 5. He cried out, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Wow. <laughs> it's just... I mean, God said he was pretty good. I mean, he said he was, he was a man of integrity, a righteous man. <laughs> it certainly proved out. So what I want to do is, you know, we come to, to passages like this. We hear about, we see the devastation in Oklahoma. We see these, these tragedies that are happening all the time. And we, the question we always are brought to is, why? Why, why, why? Here's some, what I think are inadequate answers to the question. Of why. One is, and it comes from that materialistic view of the world that says there is no God, there is no spirit world, there is only this physical world, and there is only this, this evolving world, only what I can see, only what I can touch, only what I can sense is, is, is all there is. And any feelings I have, any emotions I have, anything that I might think about that's spiritual is just a, is just a, a chemical reaction within the brain. And the, the, this response would say, the answer to the question why is there is no God. We live in a random world. And a, when, when, when living in a random universe where there is no God, you have no reason to complain. You have no reason to expect otherwise. You're part of the grinder. And sometimes you get ground when you're in the midst of the grinder. That's, that's the way the world is. You know, one of the biggest problems, though, of living with this view is that when you come to tragedies like Oklahoma, when you come to tragedies where there's just evil, when people are shot down and we see evil, we just say that the only answer is that's, that's life. That's life. Suffering and death, it's just part of life. Hope for the best. Hang on. That's not, I don't think that's an adequate answer. The second one that we often hear is, 
that God is able to do something. He's able to help, but he's unwilling. There were a number of movies that came out a little over a year ago about the Greek gods. And the Greek gods, and it's true, if you read the story of mythology and the Greek gods, they're always pretty vindictive. They're always pretty powerful. They're uncaring. They're tyrants. Uh, they're, they're very selfish. Um, and there was a whole rash of movies in there. And the, the gods were always portrayed as pretty punitive and pretty rash and pretty harsh. Um, the other view that people hold sometimes, and this was a pretty popular one, and I think a lot of people hold it today, is that God loves people. He loved the people of Oklahoma. But he's powerless to do anything about it. Uh, Rabbi Kushner wrote a book a number of years ago, and it's been probably the staple that kind of kicked this off and really popularized it. And basically, the name of the book was Why, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And his argument was this. Basically, his argument was either God is good or he's not good. If, if God is able to do something and he doesn't do some, anything about it, then he can't be called good. And he didn't agree with that. What he said is, no, God is good, but he's just not able to do anything about it. He's good and he loves you, but he's just not able to do anything about it. I'm not willing to accept that view. And then let me give you one more. This is really the message that Job's friends were bringing. And they basically said, God rewards those who are doing a, living a good life, but he punishes those who are wicked, who are evil. And that's really what they were... If you read through the arguments, they're different in a little bit. Each one has a little different flavor of the friends. But essentially, it's the same argument. Job, you're suffering because you did something wrong. God is punishing you because you did something wrong. That's essentially what they're saying through all of their dialogue. Through all of it. And there's a lot of people... Some of you think that. You think something goes wrong in your life, something's happening, you go, what did I do? Did I sin? Is God punishing me for what did I do? And, and, and many people hold that view today. I wanted to show you that Job, the book of Job, will not allow any of these views. They're all inadequate. So let's draw three lessons from the book of Job. Three principles. The first one is this, that God is not the author of evil, but He is in total control over it. And that's important for us to see. Look at the book. You know, the passage we just read, who came up with the idea to bring evil upon Job? Who was it that cooked up this plot against Job? It wasn't God. It was basically Satan. Satan came up with the idea, not God. God allowed Satan to attack Job. But he always limited what he did. I had you underline that phrase, that phrase where it says, you can do this to him, but you cannot attack him physically. Now you get to chapter 2 and he says you can Job or the Satan comes back to God and says oh you know that's fine you know you take away things that are close to him and he'll still love you but you know what if you take away his health he'll curse you. And God says okay you, you you can attack him and Satan does. Satan attacks him and ultimately Job is becomes a basket case physically um but God says to Job there, but you cannot take his life. God always set a limit. See, it wasn't God that authored this evil. evil. Satan authored the evil. God set a limit on it. In other words, what I'm saying is that God permits evil. He permits this, but he, he limits it. Now, 
Think about this, though, and this is really important to understand. God created a perfect environment. The Garden of Eden was a perfect environment. You know, in the Garden of Eden, when He made this world, it was perfect. He didn't put disease in it. He didn't, uh, he didn't put natural disasters in it. it. Tornadoes didn't destroy homes and hospitals and schools. The Garden of Eden was a place that, 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 that did, did not have any disease. There was no disaster. There was no death. God didn't make these. But see, they are in this world. But God did not directly make them. They, they, there were forces of darkness that were unleashed when we turned away from God. I like the way Tim Keller phrased this. He said this, When we rebelled against God, the fabric of this world began to unravel. When we rebelled against God, the fabric of this world began to unravel. And we're living in a world that's coming apart. Here's the point. God isn't the author of evil, pain, and suffering. But He is completely in control. He's in total charge. He permits it, but He limits it. Notice what He says to Job. All right, He's saying this to Satan. The Lord said to Satan, Do whatever you want with everything He possesses, but don't harm Him physically. In other words, He says you can go so far, but no further. He still does that today. God limited what Satan could do to Job. God was giving Satan, really what he was doing is he's giving Satan enough rope to hang himself. And we'll see that he does. Here's the second thing I want you to see from the book of Job. That God often uses our suffering to bring us to a place of surrender. God never... You know what? It's it's interesting. God never explains to Job why. He never gives them the answer. In fact, when you look at how God answers Job, it says that God answered Job out of a whirlwind. And notice what he says. This is amazing to me. God God says this to Job. This is Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much. (laughs) He just goes on. It's just like, were you there when I laid the oceans there? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did this? I don't remember you being there. Were you there when I did this? And God, it's just like like he's coming out punching. And, and, And what's going on here? I think what God is doing is, He is saying to Job, Job, you're going to have to trust me without an explanation, no matter what. No explanation, period. You're just going to have to trust me. He was saying to Job, will you trust me that I have your best interests even when it seems exactly the opposite? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? You know, God wants you to come to a place of love and trust. He is looking for obedient servants. That's what he calls Job. Have you considered my servant, Job? Notice how God addresses him. He he says, have you noticed my servant, Job? And and the question is, the question of all of this suffering, all this this testing was, would Job prove to be a faithful servant? Would he be a faithful servant? And, And the answer is yes, he would. God used Job to prove Satan wrong. And God used suffering to bring Job to a place of surrender. Now, here's an interesting passage. Go to chapter 42, verse 7. 
The Lord gets done with all of this. Were you there? Were you there? Were you there? And Job basically says, shut my mouth. I don't know what I'm talking about. And then in verse 42, it says this. This is kind of an amazing passage. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams, Go to my servant Job. Offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve. For you have spoken, uh, you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Now this is a hard lesson for us to listen to and for us to hear. You see, Here's what we tend to do. Now, I know you don't do that, but some Christians do. We tend to view God as our servant rather than the other way around. What I mean by that is, how often do you seek God for what He can do for you? How often do you seek God and say, God, I need you for this. 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 And we, do, we don't even begin to look for him to say, God, I just want to be with you. But here's, here's what Job learned, and we must too. We must pursue God for himself. Too often, we pursue him not for who he is, for what, what he brings, what he gives, what he can do, what he doesn't do. We pursue Him. In, in other words, servants serve. You need to find your everything in Him. Sometimes God will strip things away so that you will find Him. Surrender to Him. Serve Him. You know, it's very easy for us to say, well, I trust God when we have money in our bank account, clothes in our closet, food in our pantry. It's very easy to trust God. We don't need them. And, 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 and some Christians have understood that God is there to serve him, to serve them. And, and it's, not, it's not that way. In fact, Jesus is very clear. He says, you must drop everything and come and follow me. When we do this, you see, Here's, here's the rub, and it almost seems counter, it, it's totally counterintuitive to what we think and what we know. We think that God is there to serve us and to take care of us and to watch over us and to provide for us, and He does. But we go to Him for that purpose instead of saying, God, I'm just going to serve you. But as we serve Him, as we submit to Him, as we give our life to Him, as we trust Him, what He throws in in that is Care, provision, love, everything that we need, everything that we want. In other words, we go for Him and everything that we need gets thrown in. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Don't seek the things, seek Him. And, and, and that's really an important thing. You see, the great lie of the enemy is this, that if you give yourself to God, if you become His servant, he will crush you. You won't be happy. And too many of us live our lives that way. So when these things are taken from us, our lives are destroyed. 
How can Job possibly say, blessed be the name of the Lord? How can he say that at this point? The only way that you can say that at this point is if your life isn't built on having a house, having all these things. And not to say you shouldn't enjoy those things, but if your life is built on those things, then your life will be destroyed when they're destroyed. Here's the third principle. God's own suffering answers the most important question. You see, I've always come to this passage, maybe you have too, that the book of Job wrestles with that question of why, 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 you know? And I think, if you think about it, do you think it would have made a difference to Job if he found out why? I mean, let's, let's just ch- change it. And God doesn't answer out of a world when it said, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? But instead said, hey, Job, Really sorry. Satan kind of caught me off guard. Had a bad day. He had me over a barrel. We wagered with you. Uh, we let, I let him go, I let him go crazy on you. Sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I should have checked with you first. I should have asked for your permission. You think Job would have said, that's alright. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if it had been me and God says, okay, here's, here's what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to destroy your house. Every bit of wealth that you might have, gone. Your family that you love, gone. Your health, gone. I I, I tell you what I would do. I would say, oh, there's got to be somebody better than me for this. (laughs) Really, would you say that? I mean... And, and I don't know, if, if he didn't tell me that, and after the fact he told me, I don't know if that would make me feel better. Knowing why wouldn't make... Job didn't need to know why. What he needed to know was that there was a God who loved him. He needed to know that God still cared for him and still loved him. Because everybody around him and everything that he was hearing said, God can't love you because you're not being blessed right now. You're going through a valley and God doesn't bless people who go through valleys. God doesn't bless people who lose family members. God doesn't bless people who get cancer. God doesn't love those people. They did something wrong. They had it coming. They earned it. God... and see, that's the, the struggle that we have. We, we don't need to know why. We just need to know that He loves us. That He cares for us. And that He has a plan. You see, the question that we must know, and the question that the book of Job answers, and not only the book of Job, but the rest of the Bible answers, is does God love us? Does He care for us? Does He understand what we're going through? And nothing, nothing makes that more clear than the fact that Jesus entered this fallen world. This world full of natural disaster, evil, pain, suffering, and death. God shows you His great love because He entered this world And he took the full force of suffering, evil, death. The Bible does answer the question to a much greater extent than even Job. See, Job doesn't doesn't have the knowledge that we have to know about Jesus. 
We do. We, we know all about Jesus. We know that Jesus entered the world. You see, God answers the most important question about suffering by sending His Son to face ultimate pain, suffering, loss, and death for us. Not only that, He promises to walk with us as we go through that dark valley. He says, not only do I have a plan and a purpose the other side of the valley, He tells us that too. But He also says, I understand what you're going through. I understand what it is to be betrayed. I understand what it is to, to be in pain. I understand what it is to suffer. I, I understand what it is to die. I understand what it is to have a death sentence. To know my, my hours are limited. I, I, I know what it is to take upon the weight of sin and suffering. I, I know what that is like. And not only that, I, w- I love you so much that I will come into all of this. I will come into the mess for you to save you from it. You know, Job is really, when you think about it, Job is a picture of Jesus. And how is that? Well, you see, at the beginning of the book, we looked at Job, Satan's through Job, and I said God gave uh, Satan just enough rope to hang himself, and he did, because Job came out on top and proved Satan wrong. And uh, Satan's claims about Job, he basically said, well, you know, if you do this, he'll curse you. 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 And in all of that, Job never cursed God. Never cursed him. But through Jesus, Satan's claims about us are defeated. You see, the Bible says we have somebody who is constantly making accusations against us. And we have one who stands before God and makes, makes, makes his promises. He, he makes a case for us. We are defended by Jesus. Job was constantly saying, all through the book of Job, you hear him saying, I don't understand why. I just, want to, I just want an audience with God. I just want an audience with God. I just want an audience with God. Job was basically saying, I'm an innocent sufferer. And he was, to a certain extent. I mean, he was, to a certain extent. But no, the ultimate innocent sufferer was Jesus. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us and gave his life. Right? Uh, uh, Job felt cut off from God. He basically said, I feel estranged from God. That God has left me. That God is gone. That everywhere I look for Him, I can't find Him. I wish I could hear Him and, and see Him. And, and, and Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Job, Jesus was the one that was ultimately forsaken. Jesus was the one that was ultimately cut off. In the last passage we read, God says to Job, to his friends, he says, I'm not happy with you guys. You know, you're wrong. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring an offering and I want to have Job pray for you, make intercession for you. You bring an offering and Job will pray for you. Job, Job, and, and here's, here's how Jesus is better than Job because Jesus not only, uh, Jesus not only prays and makes intercession for us, but He is the offering for us. He is the one who brings the offering. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And not only that, He's the one who makes intercession for us. So Job points us to Jesus. And Jesus and His suffering on the cross shows us, every one of us, 
who calls upon the Lord. That God loves us no matter what we go through. No matter what we go through. Job has some important things to say to us about this world and suffering and, and, and how God understands what we're going through and how God will walk through with us when we go through those dark valleys. And when you pray to Him, you say, God, I'm suffering. I'm, I'm lonely. I'm discouraged. I'm betrayed. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm struggling. He, he says, I know how that feels. I've been there. But He goes even further. He says, not only Job was a great servant, but Jesus was the ultimate servant. So where are you at today? Are you looking to God and saying, God, if I do this right in my life, you owe me a good life. You owe me health. You owe me happiness. You owe me all this. Are you going to God and saying, God, I'm coming to you for this, rather than saying, God, I come to you as a servant. God says to you, you come to me as a servant. You trust me. You give your life to me. And I'll take care of the rest. That's a very different view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It it means this, if it means nothing else. It means that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will suffer. You will go through pain. You will go through tragedy. But the good news is that He goes with you and that He's provided hope the other side. Not in this world. Not answers as to why. Frankly, those answers don't really mean a lot. What we need to know when we're suffering is, does God care? Does God love me? And the cross says over and over, absolutely. Absolutely. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Job and for what you have shown us about suffering and how your word addresses probably the most important question that we could ever ask. Thank you, Father, that you entered your son, Jesus, into this fallen, corrupt, evil world, and he was destroyed by it. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was executed, mocked, and ultimately gave his life. Thank you that we are so loved that you would enter into this world for us and make the sacrifice that only you could make for us. To give us hope above and beyond this world, but yet give us hope within this world that though we pass through those dark valleys, you will not only walk with us, but carry us. Do you love us, Father? The cross says yes. For this we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.